Well, the athletes have played the games. Most did so in an honorably fashion. A few set records. There were some who won medals, but most did not. Only a few hundred, I suppose, out of the 10,000 or so athletes who competed. Some, like Carrie Strug, Janet Evans, Mike Johnson, Dan O'Brien, have made names for themselves. And in doing that, they have become famous and recognized and will possibly reap huge financial windfalls as a result of that. And that raises a question, doesn't it, regarding the motives for Olympic achievements? It must be difficult for these great athletes to separate their love of the sport from the allure of fame and power that comes with great accomplishment. Is it possible to conceive of making a name for oneself unselfishly? Well, it's pretty hard to do so, I think. The human nature, sinful as it is, makes it nearly impossible to make a name for oneself unselfishly. But we're going to see today in God's Word that God has made a name for himself and has done so with the highest motive. It is not wrong for God to make a name for himself. For you see, for God to make a name for himself is for our greatest good and for his highest glory. I invite you to open your Bible to Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 20, where once again we come to this prayer of the prophet Jeremiah as he shares with us his understanding of God, what he knows about God. And in doing so, he tells us what we ought to know about God as well. There is no knowledge that is greater than the knowledge of God. Jeremiah writes the word of the Lord when he says, Don't glory in your riches. Don't glory in your might. Don't glory in your power, in your wisdom. But let the one who boasts, boast that he knows me that he understands me. And so through this summer we have sought to understand God. We have sought to know God as he is. He is a mighty God. And today we're going to see that God is mighty in renown. Regarding God, Jeremiah says, who has set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, and even to this day, both in Israel and among mankind, and thou hast made a name for thyself, as at this day. It's easy to read over that part of the sentence, isn't it? We must not do that. Thou hast made a name for thyself. God is mighty in his reputation, in his renown. His reputation can only be described by the word glorious. 
His name he has made glorious. And today as we think about this theme, I want us to consider what God has done to make a name for himself. And I hope we will leave here excited as well as challenged with the role that he has given to us in carrying forth his reputation. Now there are two questions that I want to ask to open this theme to our hearts. What does it mean that God has made a name for himself? And secondly, how has God made a name for himself? Now once again, when we think of making a name for oneself, it's not necessarily interpreted by us in the most positive light. Because we think of the arrogant athlete. Or we remember the school bully who made a name for himself by punching others in the nose. Or we think of the pretentious real estate tycoon who's made a name for herself or himself. Or we think of the self-worshipping entertainer whose name is in the lights. Or the imperious intellectual or the braggart in the carpool that you put up with every day of the week. When we think of making a name for ourselves, it's not interpreted necessarily in a positive light. But here we are thinking of God. Men love to make names for themselves. And men do it with the wrong motive, very often. We do that because we are separated from God and lost without a relationship to the Creator by which we could gain identity. And so without that relationship and the identity that comes with it, lost men seek to make names for themselves. You understand what I'm saying? That is the way of lost mankind. And we see it in the Bible as early as in the book of Genesis. Look back with me in the chapter 11 of the first book of the Bible. Here we have the record of humanity after there was a population explosion following the flood. In those days, the whole earth used the same language and the same words. And it came about as they journeyed east, it says, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. That is, make bricks with which to build. And they used brick for stone, and they used tar for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now that's exactly what God said to do, scatter abroad over the face of the earth. They said, we don't want to do that. We don't want to do what God says to do. We want to stay together. And we will build a city 
and we're going to put a tower in that city by which we will reach to the heavens. Now they knew they could not reach heaven. What does this mean? Well, there are several possible understandings of it. The one that seems to fit the best, I think, is they were talking about building a tower from which they could observe the heavens. And what we have here is probably the very beginning of astrology and the worship of the stars and the following of the astrological signs that was their intent in building this tower. It was in rebellion against God. They would not serve the Creator, but rather they worshipped what He had created. And they said, we will make a name for ourselves. You see, man seeks to establish his own significance not in relation to the Creator, but on his own terms and by his own potential. Dr. John Piper has written, Creation exists for man. The instinct of self-preservation in fallen man seeks fulfillment, not by trusting God and thereby his name, but by employing his own human genius thereby making a name for himself. And that is the attempt of our culture, too. We do not want to see ourselves in relation to God. We want to see ourselves in relation to what we can do, what we can accomplish. And so our age is very much like that of Babel. It is an expression of independence from God. It is an evidence, indeed, of rebellion against God. It shows the human heart saturated by sin and self. But when God makes a name for himself, it is an action totally untainted by sin. When God makes a name for himself, it is a holy and good action on his part. What does it mean for God to make a name for himself? Well, God's name is more than a title or a designation or a label that uh, he gives us to put on him. It means much, much more than that. When God makes a name for himself, it's not just saying, here is what you can call me. God's name is really a disclosure of his nature. When God makes a name for himself, he is telling us what his character is like. The names that he uses means something and they tell us what God is like and so for God to make a name for himself means that he shows what he is like so that we might know him that we might worship him and that my friend as we learned last week is man's highest good and chief end 
you remember that Phil had us recite to him from the catechism, what is the chief end of man? And our response was to know God. To know God and enjoy him forever. And so for God to make a name for himself is for him to show his glory, to manifest his perfections, so that we might know him. That's our chief end. And so the greatest thing that God can do for us is to make a name for himself. The best good that God can accomplish for us is to make a name for himself so that we might know him. And because of his perfections, it's his highest glory. Now, how has God gone about this process of making a name for himself? We know what Carrie Strug did. And her courage in making that final vault that led our uh, ladies to a gold medal. We know what Janet Evans has done, not only this year, but for a number of years in swimming. And we know Dan O'Brien from the decathlon. We know what they did to make a name for themselves. The question is, what has God done to make a name for himself? Well, let me suggest several things. First of all, God has made a name for himself through the things he has made. In the creation of the universe, God has made a name for himself. Again, in the book of Genesis, look in chapter 1 this time. The very end of the chapter to these familiar verses. Where it says in verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and God created man in his own image in the image of God he created him male and female he created them in the things that God has created he has made a name for himself not only in the inanimate things and in the animals but in man and woman God has showed us something of himself and especially in man and woman never think of human beings as some evolved animal that is to blaspheme the name of God God has made a name for himself in human beings who are created uniquely in his image to show us something of what he is like. Our friend John Piper again says, Since God made man like himself, man's dominion over the world and his filling the world is a display, an imaging forth, of God. God's aim, therefore, was that man would so act that he mirror forth God, who has ultimate dominion. Man is given the exalted status of image bearer, not so he would become arrogant and autonomous, but so he would reflect the glory of his maker whose image he bears. 
God's purpose in creation, therefore, was to fill the earth with his own glory. And so God has made a name for himself in the creation of the universe and most particularly human beings as man and woman. Let me suggest, secondly, that God has made a name for himself through the nation that he has redeemed. I am thinking of the nation of Israel and her deliverance from Egypt. Turn with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 63, where this is most clearly stated. Isaiah 63. And look at verse, well, we'll pick it up in verse 11, the last part of the verse. Where it says, where is he who put his Holy Spirit in the midst of them? Now Isaiah 63, 12. Who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses? Who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name? Who led them through the depths? Like the horse in the wilderness, they did not stumble. As the cattle which go down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. So didst thou lead thy people to make for thyself a glorious name. Now God is telling us what he has done to make a name for himself. The first thing is that he's created everything, and especially human beings. Secondly... He says, I want you to look back in the record of the Old Testament, and I want you to see what I did in delivering my people. How I split the waters of the Red Sea. And they went down into the sea as cattle going down into a valley. And he gave them rest on the other side. He gave them safety. And so he made a glorious name for himself. My friend, that is God's <laughs> reputation. That is God's reputation. He is the God who can split the oceans. He is the God who can deliver his people from a hopeless situation and give them new life. That is the God who has made a name for himself. Third, let me suggest to you that God has made a name for himself through the victory he provided. And here I think of his driving out the Canaanites before his people so as to give them the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To see this, I want you to turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 17. God is telling us about his reputation. And here he uses the words of David, who is praising the Lord. 1 Chronicles 17 and verse 21. Well, let's back up to verse 20, where David says, O Lord, there is none like thee, neither is there any God besides thee, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And what one nation in the earth is like thy people Israel, whom God went to redeem for himself as a people 
to make thee a name by great and terrible things in driving out nations from before thy people, whom thou didst redeem out of Egypt. And so you see, God's reputation is not only linked to the creation and to the redemption of Israel from Egypt, but from the conquest of the land, the victory that he gave his people. Now those Canaanites had lived there for hundreds and hundreds of years. They were there in the days of Abraham. And then the time came for them to be judged for their evil and for God to give that real estate to his people Israel. And so he drove them out before his people. And God says, that's my reputation. I've made a name for myself in giving my people victory and rest in the land that I promised them. But alas, the people that God redeemed and gave the land to were not always faithful to God. Indeed, there were times when they worshipped the gods of the nations around them, and God disciplined them. And they would come back to God. And then the cycle would be repeated again and again. And if you know your Old Testament, you know I'm describing for you the book of Judges. When everyone did that which was right in his own eyes, there was no king in Israel, and the Lord was not allowed to be their king. They refused him. And yet, God did not reject utterly his people. And that brings us to the fourth way in which God has made a name for himself. It is through the preservation that he promised. You see, God made a pledge to Abraham that he would preserve his seed and bless the whole world through Abraham's seed. God had promised to preserve the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he did. I invite you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 12. And here we have the words of Samuel. And he says, beginning in verse 20, Do not fear, you have committed all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And you must not turn aside, for then you would go after futile things which cannot profit or deliver because they are futile. For the Lord will not abandon his people on account of his great name. You know what Samuel's saying? He's saying God's reputation rests on you. And so even though you have done evil, stop it. Worship the Lord. God will not abandon you because of his great name, because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for himself. And so through the preservation that he pledged, God made himself a name. And to this day, to this day, there are Jews 
in the world. And there is a nation of Israel that has been restored in these last days according to the word of God's prophecy. That is God's reputation, my friend. He's made a name for himself. But now I want us to think in terms that are New Testament. And how God has made a name for himself under the New Covenant. And to do that, I invite you to turn to the Gospel of John, the 12th chapter. By the way, I'm leaving out a lot of things. There, there would not be time in one sermon to give all of the references by which God made a name for himself. But in the Gospel of John, the 12th chapter, we have another reference regarding God glorifying his name or his reputation. Verse 27. Jesus says, My soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? You see, the hour had come for the Son of Man to be glorified. His death was imminent. He says, What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But he says, For this purpose I came to this hour. And then he says, Father, glorify thy name. He says, Father, exalt your reputation in the world. Father, exalt who you are. And there came a voice out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. God says in response to his son, I have laid my reputation out. I have upheld my reputation, I have glorified my name, and I will do it again. And what I submit to you that through the Son that he gave, through the Son that he gave, God made a name for himself. He made a name for himself that he is both holy and righteous and just and will deal with sin and that he is merciful and gracious in providing a savior for sinful man oh how God made a name for himself at the cross but I must go on for God has made a name for himself or will make a name for himself through something else that is yet to occur. And to see this, I invite you to turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 in verse 9. Paul says, And these who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ will pay the penalty, that is, for their disobedience the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed what is he saying 
He is saying that God is going to advance his reputation. He is going to glorify himself. He's going to glorify his name in the return that he's promised. The return of Jesus Christ. For on that day at the appointed hour, there will be a release of divine energy that is described as flaming fire. And with that, the sun will make his entrance into our dimension. And his glory will be seen. And the saints who've been glorified will be with him. And all will marvel at the glory of the Son when he returns. Oh, how God's reputation among all will be known on that day. God will make a name for himself. But I have one other reference that I want us to turn to before we stop our exploration this morning in the scriptures, and that is in Ephesians chapter 1. <clears throat> and we might reference just one other text as well. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. Well, we'll start in verse 5 where it says, The Father predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved what is he saying here he is saying that God is praising he is lifting up the reputation of his grace by what he has done in calling you and me to himself. God is advancing his reputation through the people that he's called. That's the seventh way I want to talk about. God is advancing his reputation through you and through me. Now we have looked at some amazing events in the Old Testament. We've looked at the work of the cross. We've looked ahead to the return of Jesus Christ. And now I think we see the most amazing of all the ways in which God has made a name for himself. It is through you and me. He has predestined us to be like Jesus Christ. To the advance of the glory, the reputation of his grace. And the angels marvel. And throughout all eternity, they will be marveling at the grace that God has demonstrated, what he has shown about himself in you and in me. God is advancing his renown through his people. And not only to the angels, but to the world. Because you see, in contrast to the paganism and the false religion of the world, God is calling out a people for his name, right? For his reputation. And through the holy living of those people, he is advancing his reputation 
in the world. Look in 1 Corinthians 10.31, and I think this will be the last time I have you turned to a reference this morning. 1 Corinthians 10.31. It says, Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the reputation of God. The glory of God. That's the point. Whether you eat or drink or anything that you do, realize that in doing that, it is your opportunity to advance God's reputation in the world. God is mighty and renowned. How does it make you feel to know that he intends to extend the reputation he has established through your life? That God's purpose right now in August of 1996 is to advance his reputation in your office, in your store, in your neighborhood, through your life, through your words, through your actions, through your attitudes. That's pretty humbling, isn't it? I remind you of the words of Peter, who says, You are a holy nation, that you should show forth the praises of him who's called you out of darkness moral darkness to his marvelous light that's holy living he says you are a special people you have been set apart by God that you should show forth the praises of him what is that saying that you should advance his reputation That you should show his renown to the world. Because he's called you out of the darkness to walk in the light. I think it is an amazing thought to consider that God has entrusted his reputation in the world to you and me. And how that ought to affect the way that, that I live. How that ought to influence how I treat my fellow workers. To recognize that I'm carrying his reputation to the places that I go. To understand that his reputation is linked with the things that I do. God entrusts his name to you. And he says to you and me, Be holy, for I am holy. Stuart Briscoe writes these words. It is sometimes not adequately understood what is included in the divine call. For instance, when... Some people read, God has called us in the fellowship with his Son. 
They could think that the call of God is an invitation to enjoy a relationship with his son and nothing more. It would be a serious mistake to assume that the call of God is solely a generous offer from God for undeserving people to have a nice time with Jesus. The invitation is also a summons. By all means rejoice in the fellowship to be enjoyed with the Lord Jesus, but not at the expense of ignoring the summons to live a holy life without which the fellowship would not be real and true. There is no freedom for individuals to go to God's garden party other than on the conditions outlined, and these include the call to be holy. Living a holy life is no more an optional extra for the called than is behaving appropriately for those who respond to a royal invitation. In responding to the call, accepting the invitation, there is an acknowledgement of what is involved. God has called you, says Peter, out of darkness into light. He has called us to show forth his reputation to the world. And surely as we come to the Lord's table, and we remember what Jesus has done for us, and how he has established the reputation of God in the work of his cross, our hearts must be humbled and broken. We must cry out to God afresh, O oh Lord, you know my sins. Forgive me of my sins. And renew a heart within me for holiness. Renew within me, Lord, the vision to show forth your reputation to the world to glorify your name, for you are a God who is mighty in renown. Let's pray. To me, this is a very convicting message. That this God who is mighty in renown entrusts to me and to you the privilege of extending his reputation into the world. Let us determine in our hearts that we would do nothing and say nothing that would bring a stain to the reputation of God. That would cause the world to look at us and say terrible things about God. But because God is holy, let us be holy. Father, will you please, by your Spirit, impress this in our hearts and do it so permanently that our lives will be forever changed. And this we pray in Jesus' name.